Hello, podcast listener. You're listening to a Halford and Bruff podcast, and I'm using my podcast voice. You can listen to us on Google, Apple, Spotify. It's the Halford and Bruff podcast, and thank you for listening. So Drance's theme music trumps Big Band Tuesday is what we're learning here. Correct. Not we, sure how uh, I feel about that. We have to make a big band version of this, but we yeah. don't have the budget. Not for sure it, so. how I feel about that. I was I was looking forward to some big band coming back. We gotta yeah. hear some Dom singing on this one. It's awful. Oh my god. Oof. Oh hey. That'll get your morning started. No, nope, no, it won't. <laughs> this hour of Alfred and Bruff is brought to you by Campbell and Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell and Pound. Visit Campbell-Pound.com today. It is the final hour, and of course, Halford and Bruff is the official automotive, uh, well, Delari Acura is the official automotive sponsor of Halford and Bruff, the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today. It's Dan Riccio and Jamie Dodd in for Halford and Bruff, and uh, we now welcome in the co-host of Canucks Hour. I'm just going to sit back for a few minutes and let uh, <laughs> let Thomas Trance and Jamie Dodd uh, get don't. to know each other again. Please don't. <laughs> Dan, you're hosting, and yet you're the third wheel here to this morning. <laughs> Thanks for having me, boy. Nobody ever likes being the third wheel, so this is, this is kind of an awkward <laughs> spot for me. Well, maybe you're the big wheel on the tricycle. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, how's it going, Drancer? It's going well. Going well. Back from the Okanagan, and... Uh, yeah, just enjoying the summer. It's been uh, quiet, but it's been uh, it's been nice. It's been a big relief. Yeah, uh, the the only team making noise has been uh, the Calgary Flames. Still no JT Miller trade yet, though. So yeah, thank goodness I don't cover them. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, uh, the uh, you know we'll we'll sort of see where this goes, but not a huge surprise, I think, at this point. Uh, I still do think we'll see some stuff happen before camp opens. Or, or before young stars, what have you? But you know, I do think uh, I do think once you get to this point in the summer, people do take their vacation, right? <laughs> people do take their time, uh, as it were, unless they're Calgary and they lose two elite wingers, in which case, you know, that necessitates some action. Yeah, then you'll uh, you'll cut your vacation short if you're Brad for living to uh, <laughs> to address oh, yeah. that one. Um, World Juniors starts today. Odd, but uh, you know, it'll be interesting to watch. And you had a great piece up at the Athletic Dancer about uh, one of the projected stars for the Canadian team, Connor Bedard, presumptive first overall pick, of course, from North Vancouver as well. And I know, just talking to you on Canucks Hour throughout the season, you know, the the, the thought has come up: like this guy is from Vancouver. Big Canucks fan. Is there any way? Is there any way the Canucks can position themselves to land that? And you know, did did your uh, did your crush on Connor Bedard or however I want to put it, did it just grow in the in the reporting of this article? Uh, he's an impressive kid. Not not, not much else to it. Um, you know, the fact is is that this is one of the best prospects we've seen come along in years. I mean. For some evaluators, you have to go back to 2014 to find a number one overall pick that, you know, was as good, was at as high a level, was as separated from his age class as Bedard is. And and we all know who went number one in 2014, I think. So that's the sort of expectations on Bedard. And his story's 
pretty unique in some ways in that, you know, he's a kid from North Vancouver. His dad's a second generation logger, right? Like the, they host international students at their house. This is a upbringing that I think a lot of people would find pretty familiar as opposed to, you know, so, sort of the uh, politicking at the J- GTHL <laughs> that we're sort of used to associating with players of this caliber. This is, um, you know, a pretty interesting person, a pretty interesting player. Um, you know, he's a humble guy. Like, he's a really humble kid, considering how easy it would be to be outrageously cocky, right? Uh, considering his skill set, considering what he's accomplished, considering how often he's played up, and not just played up, but dominated, right? I mean, he played U18, like, uh, you know, what, what, what Hockey Canada renamed uh, a few years ago as U18 at, at the age of 14 and, and led the league in scoring. And, you know, there's guys like Max Savoie who were playing in that league at the time. Granted, he's only a year older, so he would have been 15, but nonetheless, wildly impressive. And then you look at what he did in the WHL last season – um, you know, basically two points per game for the latter 38 games of the year. Um, you know, there's scouts talking about like, like NHL scouts who, you know, are focused in the West who are talking about, you know, can this kid hit 75 goals next season as a, as a 17 year old in the WHL, right? Like things we haven't seen since Ray Ferraro. <laughs> that's, that's what scouts are. And serious people like serious hockey people, guys who are paid, to do this and, and evaluate talent professionally, I mean, they're giddy when talking about what could be accomplished by, by Bedard next season. It's, it's hard not to get caught up in that, even as you need to keep your expectations at least somewhat on the ground because of the fact that, yeah, this still is a guy who, you know, turned 17 10 days ago. Um, it's probably not fair to, to drop some of the comparisons that get dropped on him. Um, you know, guys like Iserman, Kucherov, Kane, and again, being dropped by serious people, right? Like hockey people, not on HF boards, hockey people dropping these types of comps. Uh, that's probably not fair to, to, uh, to a local team, but man, he's, uh, he's a pretty impressive player with an enormously impressive shot and a, and a wide range of skills beyond that bread and butter sort of weapon that he's going to be bringing into uh, his first year of draft eligibility. So uh, w- w- when you mentioned the shot and, and reading through how you describe it uh, in the article at The Athletic, I, I, I kind of think to put another comp there is uh, Austin Matthews and how he gets his shot off in, in so many different ways uh, with, with the Maple Leafs, and he's kind of considered you know the top goal scorer in the league now uh, and has been for a while, especially at five-on-five. Five. Is that kind of how Connor Bedard's shot is so special? He just... He's got a lot of different release points, able to get it off in different spots. Is is that what makes it kind of special for you? Well, yeah. The the launch angle on his release is one of the weirdest things I've ever seen. Right? Like he it's it's there's a rhythm to it, right? There's this there's this rhythm to it that almost reminds you of you know, if um like I've been watching the Apple Plus show Physical with Rose Byrne recently, you know? And the, the idea that she's like an aerobics instructor, you, you pop in the aerobics uh, tape and try to do it at home, right? But like, you're never going to be Paula Abdul at home, right? Like, there's no way you're going to be able to match the rhythm, right? He's got this rhythm to it that makes it special, that allows him to get almost full torque or velocity 
on his shot within something like a five foot range, right? Like so long as the puck is in front of him, it feels, it seems like in watching his tape, he's going to get full torque on it. Um, That's wild. Like, I don't know how you anticipate that as a goaltender. I don't know how you figure out exactly where the, the shot is going. And what's sort of interesting about talking to him at length and talking to some of his coaches is to really understand, you know, I don't know that we talked about or talk about Austin Matthews, for example, as a guy who's like an evolutionary player, right? I mean, we think about guys like Ovechkin, right? And Ovechkin plays in that spot and on the power play, and that sort of changed how guys score goals, how offense is manufactured, how teams attack five on four. I don't know that we've thought of Matthews that way. We just think of him as this uber-talented goal scorer. But he has this drag shot that for a kid like Bedard, who's you know a huge hockey fan, watches elite players do outrageous things on the ice just as a fan and then is actually skilled enough to try it, practice it, and then implement it and make it work for him in a game, right? Like Matthews's shot changed just about everything about how Bedard worked on his own. And, and yet Bedard's, you know, it, I mean, you'll watch this uh, U20 tournament. Like Bedard's drag shot is, it's NHL ready now. It's probably been NHL ready for a couple of years. And this is a guy who, the day he steps onto the ice, is going to have one of those shots. And I mean, you can just say it. Like, there's like 10 guys in the league whose shots you immediately understand what they are, right? Like, Ovechkin's one, Kucherov's one, Matthews is one. Uh, Pedersen would be, a, would be a local example, right? Like, there's guys whose shots that mean something to you immediately. But Bedard's, Bedard's very likely to have a shot that is in that class. Just, just from a pure mechanics, velocity um, you know, versatility standpoint, like the day he steps in the league, it's uh, it's a, it's an impressive weapon. Like it's a really, I mean, good luck to WHO goaltenders. Uh, good luck to U20 goaltenders over the next two weeks. But this guy, uh, this guy can rip it. That wrist shot is special. As you mentioned, Drance, he's going to be one of the the star attractions at this uh, this bizarre August U20 tournament, the World Juniors, that gets going today. From a Canucks perspective, three prospects at the tournament. I know everyone's excited to watch uh, the recent first over or first round pick, Jonathan Lekaramaki. The yep. other two guys, Jacob Trescott and Yoni Yermo. Now, Reach and I were talking earlier in the show and saying, because it's the World Juniors, there's always a certain amount of hype that gets attached to teams' prospects when they make it, but we should maybe pump the brakes a little bit on, you know, oh, wow, Jacob Trescott and Yoni Yermo, they're on, the, they're on their country's uh, World Junior teams. This means a lot for them as prospects. From your perspective, what, if anything, does it mean for those players as Canucks prospects? Yeah, it doesn't mean a ton in part because, like, these are these guys aren't U20, right? I mean, it is an August tournament. It's a, it's a unique tournament. These teams were made back in December of 2020 when these guys were actually 19 and eligible in a normal year, and, and neither guy was on their team. Or, or was Trescott one of the last cuts? Trescott was one of the last cuts. Yermo wasn't even invited to the selection camp. So from a you know rigorous analysis of comparable players' perspective, right, I'm not going to look at these two players making the U20 team as 20-year-olds in a unique canceled tournament, right, like a, a rescheduled tournament uh, with sort of different rules than other U20 
tournaments have had in terms of eligibility and say like that puts them in, you know, a different company than they were prior to making the team. Right. That makes sense. So, um, you know, that said, that said, Yoni Yermo had had a really strong finish to his season last year and has never previously been on the radar at all for the Finnish national team. And that's always been something that I viewed as a bit of a red flag developmentally for him, right? Like he was never at the U18s. Uh, He was never at U20. He was never even invited to the selection camps. Like he was so far off their radar. Um, I always viewed that as, you know, a a pretty, a pretty tough sign for a, for a prospect of, uh, of Yermo's sort of stature. Um, You expect a guy who goes in the third round and who has those physical tools to be a mainstay for their national team, particularly when it's not one of the big five uh, or or one of the big four national teams, right? Like if you're going to be an NHL player, you should be on Finland's (laughs) U18 and U20 teams every year, right? Like you want guys who are shoe-ins typically for like Canada, US, Sweden, Russia, which are, those are harder teams to make. So if you're not a shoe-in for Finland, that, that tends to be something that I, I've always looked at anyway as a reason for you know a fair bit of pessimism in Yermo's case. The fact that he was strong enough last season to convince you know a group that's been highly skeptical of him, right? Like a decision-making group in the Finnish Federation that's never had time for his game previously uh, to bring him to this tournament, that, that's something that I do read into uh, as a sign that anyway – he appears to have grown to the point where he's addressed some of the weaknesses in his game and, and perhaps satisfied some of the harshest critics uh, of his performance. As for Truscott, um, you know, Truscott's had sort of an, a bit of an up and down season with the, or a bit of an up and down career anyway with the Michigan Wolverines. Um, but, you know, played with a, an incredible array of future NHL star defensemen uh, in that program and has seemed to be able to complement them pretty well on, on either the left or the right side. Um, you know, there's, there's a path for sort of non-scoring, um, complementary sort of, you know, mid-pair guys in the NCAA to, to potentially have an impact in the NHL. Uh, guys like Marino, it's a pretty common profile, but we do occasionally get a breakthrough guy or two. Um, the fact that Truscott's been a, a regular on the uh, U.S. national team radar, uh, yeah, that's a product of the fact that he played for the National Development Team program, but he was one of the last cuts of the U-20s. Uh, he's made the team now. Uh, I'd expect him to play in something of a depth role considering the talent on that blue line, but nonetheless, uh, I do think that's, um, you know, that's, that's all a good sign for Truscott and you know, his ability to perhaps carve out a, a path to the league uh, as, as at least a depth guy. Thomas Trance of The Athletic and uh, Canucks Hour here on Sports at 650 joining us here. And um, it's, you know, the, the Huberto contract, I, I guess it's a little bit old now, but I, I'd love to get your take on it, Trance. Um, it, it's expensive. Um, at the same time, it's it's hard to put aside how Brad Treliving was able to navigate the whole situation and still come out not looking terrible out of it all. Yeah, I mean, with what we saw happen to the market for wingers this summer, right, where the bottom just absolutely fell out of the price of any winger on a big contract. Uh, You know, scoring wingers were available for free or close to it all summer. 
you know, I, I struggle with one aspect of it, which is that if you're Calgary and you're aging, right, your 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 best players are all in their late twenties, early thirties, right? I mean, Elias Lindholm's like the youngest guy of the of their core group, and he's twenty six, right? Everyone else is, you know, Markstrom's what thirty two, Tanner's thirty three, uh, Backlund's in his thirties, right? Like go go up and down the list, it's all guys in their thirties, and you know, I sort of had this thought that if Calgary was able to rely on being an elite defensive team and preserve cap space with some, you know, level of, um, of care of discipline that, that really you could run the scoring wingers through that you'd acquire, you know, almost for free uh, on, on a year over year basis and have enough offense. Now that's, that's nice in theory, but I think Calgary needed to send a message to the league. They're like, Hey, no, we can keep guys. Yeah, we have to pay, but we can keep guys. Guys do not hate being here. And we found, you know, the the NHL's was either the second or the third leading scorer last year, a genuine star in terms of his personality, in terms of his level of play, willing to make the commitment. I think they needed to plant that flag, send that message. And so they valued that. They decided to do that deal. And, and yeah, that's a deal that's going to more than likely age poorly over the back end. And yet, you know, I look at Huberto as a guy who, you know, because he's such a lethal playmaker, um, and, and I've talked about this a little bit too on Canucks Hour, Jamie, with, uh, with uh, JT Miller and my foul-mouthed Adam Oates comparison, right? Like if JT Miller signs a long-term deal, for example, and has become a different player as a centerman, right? A player who slows the game down a little more than he did when he played along the wall. Who, who leans on making plays, like if he's a more cerebral producer, as opposed to being the two-way sort of power forward winger that he was earlier in his Canucks tenure, then, you, then you're a little more comfortable with how it ages because playmaking skills tend to age a little bit better. Um, Huberto's pro- profiles is one of those guys who could break aging curves a little bit. In fact, he already has, right? He's peaked in his late 20s, uh, a la, a la Dan- Daniel and Henrik Sedin. Um, already in his career, but he's 30 now. This is a huge deal. He's got nine seasons left with the Flames. Uh, there's a massive, a massive heap of risk that True Living has taken on in signing this deal, and yet one gets the sense that it had to happen, and one gets the sense, too, that True Living's work's going to be judged not on the back end of the deal, where we're talking about the risk being taken on, but, but on the front end of the deal, as this core um, you know, takes uh, at least another run or two at potentially having a real shot, right? Um, and and I, I look at that team, and I know it's not the popular opinion, in part because they're, you know, list their top six forwards. It's not the sexiest group, right? I mean, you've, you've got, let, let's just run through it for fun. You've got Coleman, Coleman you've got Huberto, you've got Backland, you've got Lindholm, right? Uh, you'd have, uh, can you say uh, Manjapani <laughs> for me, by the way, Reach? Manjapani. <laughs> Manjapani. Um, you know, it's not like star-studded necessarily outside of Huberto, but that's a lot of effective players, right? And and a lot of like high-end competitors. Um, I think there's enough there considering that they have just an absolute murderer's row of talent on the back end. And and I still sort of look at this team and think, you know, I can't remember the last time that a top three NHL defense, and really they were the best NHL defense in the league last year, but I can't remember the last time the best defensive team in the league added, like, a top pair caliber defenseman for funsies, 
right? Like, I, I, I just can't remember it. I don't think I've seen it in 20 years. Um, but I think people are sleeping on the impact that Uyghur could have there, uh, potentially in his contract year or extended, in terms of just making that team an absolute nightmare to enter the zone against, control play against, score against. I, I just think they're going to be a really, really good defensive team. And if they're as good defensively as I expect, and I, I think they're like defensive floors top five, if they're as good as that, you don't need to be an elite offense, right? You just need to have you can you can make the playoffs. In fact, you can win a division with like the 18th best offense in the league if you're at that level defensively. I, I see Calgary as being more than likely to be at that level with Sutter, with Markstrom, with Tanev, with Uyghur, uh, with the the centermen that they have, the Selkie nominee in Lindholm, who's not even the best defensive center on his team because they've got Backlund. I mean, I see the potential there to be a real lockdown group. Um, Huberto's task then is just to get them to a little bit below average offensively on the whole. That's a task I suspect he's up to, even if, you know, there's not a ton of megawatt star talent around him. So, so you're saying a Daryl Sutter team is going to uh, win with defense and goaltending and, and not, not necessarily oh, yeah. by high flying running gun offense transfer. That's what oh, I'm yeah. hearing. I, yeah. I don't know that they're going to be, I don't know that they're going to be first on my, uh, on my like league pass <laughs> power <laughs> rankings. But, uh, but yeah, they're going to win a lot of 2-1 games. Drancer, uh, appreciate the time. Thanks. Anytime, boys. Enjoy the summer. Be well. Bye. Yep, there is uh, Thomas Drance at The Athletic and, of course, Canucks Hour here on Sportsnet 650 with him and Jamie Dodd during the Canucks season. Uh, Calgary's going to be – the Uyghur thing is fascinating because he's one of those players like – yeah, I think everybody realizes Mackenzie Weger is good, but do they realize how mm-hmm. good he is? Right? Do they realize he is kind of a top pair defenseman in the league? Uh, even though he was drafted in a late round and hasn't really broken out until his mid twenties. Yeah, he's one of the contenders for that kind of most underrated title, I would think, in yep. the NHL right now. And as Drant said, adding it to what was already a really good blue line that didn't lose. I mean, they lost Eric Branson, but they didn't lose their top, any of their top four. Yep. That was very effective last year. And, you know, now you add Uyghur and, okay, does that let you kind of manage Chris Tanev's minutes a little bit more? Mm-hmm. Like keep him a little bit fresher for the playoffs as he gets older, right? Like it gives you so many different options for how you run your blue line, how you match up against other teams' best forwards. And, yeah, you just look at that blue line, Daryl Sutter, and Jacob Markstrom in net, they're going to be really tough to score against. And I'm also going to be very curious to see how they manage Jacob Markstrom's workload because we saw what happened to him late in the season and in the playoffs and the way he just completely uh, laid an egg for them in the in the, uh, in the the playoffs. They obviously can't afford to have that happen again. So I, I wonder if with the extra depth on the blue line now, even based on what they had last year, if they feel maybe a little bit more com- uh, comfortable giving Markstrom some time off during the season to make sure he's fresh for the playoffs. So um, <laughs> there's a couple of interesting stories going on this morning. Uh, Chris Sale had a bike accident and has broke his wrist. Boston Red Sox pitcher. Uh, we, we were talking earlier about the most infuriating players to watch. Well, Sale hasn't really been infuriating to watch. Barely played. Because he's barely played. This is year three of Chris Sale's five-year, $145 million extension that he signed prior to the 2019 season, which was a year out from free agency. Through those first three years of the contract, he's made 14 total starts 
and thrown 57 and a third innings. The average starter makes about 30 in a year, just for Woo! context. Yeah. He's made 14 in, three, in seasons. three seasons. Good thing they traded Mookie Betts, though, to save money. <laughs> <laughs> They're really getting that ROI back on the Chris Sale deal. Unbelievable. Whatever. Couldn't happen to a nicer team. Yeah. A bike accident. I, we've seen worse injuries in baseball. I'll say that much. So. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Sammy Sosa sneezing. Yes. The great, the great <laughs> sneeze through his back out. I've had some pretty vicious sneezes. Yeah, who among day. us that, haven't thrown their backs that out? Was, that sneezing. was the actual release was a series of violent sneezes. <laughs> I don't think I've ever had that before. Uh, all right, coming up, Cam Robinson tees us up for the World Junior Championship beginning today. That's next on Sportsnet 650. And what we learned. Uh, closing out Big Band Tuesday. Yes, uh, this hour of Halford & Bruff is brought to you by Campbell & Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell & Pound. Visit campbell-pound.com today. And, of course, the Laurie family of Acura Dealers is the proud title sponsor of Halford & Bruff. Experience the Delari difference today. and Visit your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. I kind of want more of Big Band Tuesday. Jamie's mic has gone AWOL. How's that? There, there we, we go. go. I was saying I like Big Band Tuesday. It's nice. Uh, let's bring in our next guest, uh, Cam Robinson, Elite Prospects. Do you like Big Band Tuesday? Sure. Who doesn't like a little brass in their morning, eh? <laughs> a little. <laughs> uh, it's good. Uh, so the World Juniors today. Uh, <laughs> World, yeah, yeah. August 9th, uh, It's uh, it's kind of crazy that this is starting up in the middle of summer, uh, Cam. But um, what do, what are you kind of looking forward to uh, coming out of this tournament? I mean, yeah, it, it's it definitely feels weird. It's not Boxing Day, that's for sure. Um, I have to have to close the blinds and turn on the fan and and just kind of lock out all the other obligations to watch some some sloppy, some choppy summer hockey. But uh, you know, it's it's always fun. I think it'll probably be a bit of a slow start for, for most people uh, getting involved in and kind of getting engaged in it. But as, as that round Robin kind of draws to a close, we start to see those key matchups starting to hit. And, uh, and then the metal round kicks off is that, you know, I, I think everyone will probably be a little more invested and, and maybe uh, cut the beach time a little short, but I, I'm really looking forward to obviously for me personally, watching the draft eligible talent, that's always something. And there's a few really good ones that are going to be there. Obviously, Connor Bedard, um, you know, checking in on the Canuck prospects. It's it's been a while since they've had multiple players there. Even though you know it's probably only going to be Lakira Mackey that's that's going to stand out and have a prominent role. Um, yeah, and then and you know to watch some of these guys that are knocking on the door for NHL jobs. I know we lost a lot of them. You know, Owen Power and and William Eklund and Alexander Holtz and all these these big name players. But you know, there's still going to be some players like Mason McTavish and Kent Johnson uh, playing for the Canadians that are basically NHL talent already. Um, and they're going to strut their stuff and flex their muscles. So there's a lot of good storylines to watch for sure. You know, you mentioned Connor Bedard there, Cam. Is 
is he going to be the star of the show at this year's tournament? It feels like, you know, obviously we've been hearing about him for a while now, and if you're plugged into prospects, you know about how good he is, but it feels like this could be the moment where he really breaks through to kind of the more casual audience and people start to sit up and say, holy cow, this guy's something special. I mean, yeah, he, he was he was on that path already as a 16-year-old when they when we last watched the World Juniors there back in December of last year. Um, you know, he was just uh, electric in those two games. Um, I think in those two games, you know, he outpointed what Crosby did as a 16-year-old and what McDavid did as a 16-year-old. And, and so he was just kind of scratching the surface there. So I, I am expecting big things from him. Obviously, he's going to be put in a, a position to succeed. He's playing on the top line. He's playing on the top power play unit with, with you know, Mason McTavish and Ken Johnson and Logan Stankhoven and, and these high, high-impact offensive players. So um, there's definitely an opportunity for him to really shine, and I expect he will. So I just released um, my World Junior preview for Elite Prospects. You know, I've got him winning tournament MVP and top forward. And, and you know, we don't see that from a kid who just recently turned 17 ever, really. Um, but he's just that good, and I think he's really going to shine, especially playing on the wing, too not having to handle kind of those defensive responsibilities. And it's just going to allow him more freedom to create plays and unleash that incredible shot of his. So uh, I, I do have very, very high expectations for him. And I think he's probably going to meet him. Uh, Cam Robinson, our guest. Now, everybody is excited to see Jonathan Lekromaki. He scored yesterday for Team Sweden against Canada in a tune-up game. Uh, should we uh, expect him to have a big role for Sweden, who looks like they have a pretty good roster at this uh, this tournament? Yeah, um, you know, he, he's he's been skating on the second line with uh, Theodore Niederbach, um, who's a Detroit second rounder, and Oscar Lawson, who's a Colorado first rounder. Um, that's a really skillful second line. Niederbach's going to be really relied on for them to to create. Um, and, you know, that's perfect for Lekiramaki because he's a finisher. And uh, so in that tune-up game there, Niederbach made a, a really nice creative play to get open and then dish it to Lekiramaki in the middle, who, you know, finishes. Um, he's going to be playing on that top power play unit as well. Uh, so he'll be the trigger man. Um, I, I think they will. They will be leaning on him. He's he's kind of like the the Holtz replacement. That guy who's going to be able to finish um, from distance uh, and on the power play and and kind of help finish things off at even strength. So I think for Sweden to go deep, they're going to need that secondary scoring on the to to really step up, and he's going to be a big part of that. Um, so. I do. I think Canucks fans should be excited for what they see, but to remember that he is, you know, a recently drafted player um, so that his time to shine is probably more in that December tournament. Um, but uh, but I do think that he's got an opportunity here to put up some some good numbers and, and to show off that shot of his. Lakira Mackey, the standout from a Canucks perspective, for sure, as you said, you know, getting the offensive opportunities he will with Team Sweden. You know, you mentioned with Jacob Truscott and Yoni Yermo, not necessarily expected to play huge roles, but it, it would it be the kind of tournament where if they are able to just play themselves into bigger roles throughout the course of the tournament, that would be kind of considered a success for those players. Yeah, I think so for sure. I mean, for Yermo, it's really interesting because, you know, he's basically been ostracized from the junior national teams for years now. Like he, I think he played at like a U16 event a hundred years ago and then like didn't even get invited to camps, um, which was pretty surprising because, you know, he's, so big, so mobile, and it's not like Finland has a ton of elite defensemen that they're plugging into their lineup here, but for some reason or another, he was kind of blacklisted. Um, so this year, even to get invited to camp, I was like, oh, well, that's kind of a nice feather in his cap. Maybe he's, you know, breaking down that wall. Um, and then to make the team, it looked like coming in, he was going to be probably their number seven. Uh, but, you know, he saw some second pair duties in the build-up to the event in those tune-up games. Um, like I said, he's big, he's really, really mobile, Um but, you know, the the decision-making is really touch and go. So I, I think you're right. If he 
can play his way into a second pairing role or if he can start there and hold on to that role throughout the tournament, even if he doesn't put up a lot of points and even if he does make some mistakes along the way, I think that that's definitely a plus. Even just making this team is a really big plus for him, I think. And and it's a nice sign for Canucks fans that, you know, he maybe has some NHL upside. Uh, for Truscott, you know, uh, interesting too is that, you know, Luke Hughes is there too and they have some history together at Michigan. Um, obviously Hughes is going to be playing a frontline role, but if Truscott can, can find his way, if, you know, if they mix a match and they end up getting him up there playing with him, just kind of playing that simple game, that'll be a huge boost for him. Cause he's another player that plays a pretty vanilla game can have some mistakes baked into his, his output. Um, but you know, when he's on, he, he can make those straightforward, simple plays, you know, clog up the neutral zones, you know, be tough at the blue line, uh, good stick sort of thing. So if he can, if you don't really notice him too much, that's probably a good thing for him as well. If he's getting minutes. So, uh, yeah, a couple of a couple of players that it's nice to have in the event for Canucks fans, um, and if they can hold on to a role or, or push their way into a bigger one, then definitely a good sign. Uh, so some players to watch. I mean, we've got uh, some of the the high picks of this past draft. Obviously, Simon Nemich and uh, Juracek, they're both playing uh, in this tournament. Uh, but who are some other names that you're looking at in this uh, upcoming World Junior Championship? Yeah, no Nemec, unfortunately, for Slovakia. Oh, that's right. They, um, yeah, so they, they lost the number one and number two pick with Slavkovsky, and, and Nemec isn't returning. Um, and Philip Mashar isn't either. So Slovakia, they've taken it right on the chin. They've lost a lot of high-end talent. But they do have um, Dalibar Dvosky, um, who is a high, high projected pick for 2023. He'll be kind of the front line for, for Slovakia this year and a player to watch for everybody. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, you know, for the Americans – um, they have uh, Charlie Strammel, who, who's a 2023 eligible kid, too, this big power forward who made the team over Frankie Nazar, which is a surprise to many people. Um, he's going to be someone to watch. You know, same with Logan Cooley, a player to watch for the Americans. Um, you know, it's without Russia, um, it's it really kind of shifts the balance of power. And so it opens up some some opportunities for, you know, Finland, where they're going to have Topi Nimala, who was a reigning uh, defenseman of the tournament a couple of years ago. You know, for them to go deep, he's going to have to be really, really good for them. Um, but, you know, when it comes down to it, this is this is the Canadians' just kind of impressive offense versus the Americans' really, really impressive defense. Um, and then the Swedes are going to try to find their way in the middle. So, um, you know, Edvinson has the – he's got the goods to be, you know, the best defender at this group. I mentioned uh, Luke Hughes as well. Brock Faber, though, is someone I think that everyone should have their eye on. He just got traded from the Kings to uh, the Minnesota Wild, part of that Kevin Fiala deal. He's captaining the American squad. This kid is excellent, like very, very, very talented player. Probably won't put up the type of points that, that Hughes will, uh, but he's my pick to be the top defender at this event, even if the Americans come up short. Uh, he's just that good. So, yeah, lots of names to watch for sure. Cam, we really appreciate the time. Enjoy the tournament. Yeah, thanks a lot, fellas. We'll talk soon. Uh, there is uh, Cam Robinson covering the World Juniors Elite Prospects uh, is uh, where you find his great work. Dan Richo and Jamie Dodd. Uh, it is that time of the morning. It's time for what we learned here on uh, Halford and Bruff in the morning. Dan Richo, Jamie Dodd. We've got Laddie and A Dog as our producers. And of course, you, the people, get your submissions in 650 650 on the Dunbar Lumber text line. We'll read some of the best ones uh, before the show is out. Want me to kick it off? Sure. Let's go, Please Laddie. Please do. I, I don't got, have one. I got all what we learned. Uh, what we learned, the San Diego Padres may not have actually won the trade deadline. They haven't scored a run in 23 innings. The fourth inning from three games ago. <laughs> Did they win the trade deadline? It's not yeah. great. It doesn't look like it. You know, one of my favorite Twitter accounts is like, uh, <laughs> it's like uh, th- 
things that happen, things that precede unfortunate events or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there was a clip of uh, Juan Soto being like, I feel sorry for all the other pitchers that are going to have to face us. Like, well, I don't know about that. <laughs> it's going pretty well so far. Well, it's working out. Yeah. I don't know about that one. Uh, what we learned uh, is uh, it's, it's good moo cow right there. What we learned, you say Kikuchi is the most frustrating athlete to watch. I know I've been on this train all morning long, but I, I like I legitimately can't get over how angry I was watching you say Kikuchi last night. Is just like Swiss Chalet closing angry, <laughs> like at that level. Oh. Is that what we're talking about? Yes. Okay. Um. So Alec Manoa is pitching for the Jays today against the Baltimore Orioles. Far what a whip, whiplash. Like, <laughs> you can't be on two, two more opposite sides of the yeah. spectrum. You know, like it's, it's one of the great things about baseball. My favorite thing to watch in baseball is just to watch an absolute great pitcher yeah. just carve people up. Like you were mentioning Jacob deGrom. He was throwing like 96-mile-an-hour sliders yes. the other night. This is like, what? Absurd. What is happening? With movement. Yeah. And uh, and then you watch you say Kikuchi. It's just like well, these, these guys couldn't be too of, far um, away from each other. Remember it when the Jays had Roy Halladay? Of course, it was always a pleasure to watch. And then they added AJ Burnett, which yeah. is like polar opposite of Roy oh. Halladay in every way. So you'd you'd sit down and enjoy the Roy Halladay experience, just calm, cruising, yeah. keeps it quick. You know, no walk. And then you got Jesse Litch the next. Yeah, time. like yeah. eight innings, three hits, one run, great, boom. And then the next day is Burnett, and it's like. Oh my gosh! It's the fourth inning. He's throwing eighty-five pitches. He has like six strikeouts, but five walks. You're like, what's going on here? Just total whiplash every time. Yeah, AJ Burnett. That was huge when they signed the. Uh, it's a big AJ deal. Burnett. The Degrom ninety-six mile an hour slider. Though I keep going back to that. Like, that's just absurd. <laughs> that's that's to me. completely like, ridiculous. I, I played ball growing up, but if you told me like in a straight line that a ball was coming at ninety-six, I I still wouldn't be able to hit it. No, no, of course he's not. throwing it's ridiculous. sliders. It's moving ninety-six. It's it's insane. A slider at 96 has got to be one of the most ridiculous things that's happened in baseball. Just, you know, 102-mile-an-hour fastball, 96-mile-an-hour slider. What's the big deal? And everyone wonders why batting averages are down. Yeah. It's like, well, Can't you, these guys you try hit, hitting it. Can't they learn to hit the other way? Come yeah. on. Yeah. Hit why don't way? they just try to make contact? Just, just get a bat on it. All right. Uh, let's get to listener submissions. The humanoids. The humanoids? I, I'm not supposed to call them listeners. Humanoids. That, humanoids. That's true. They get very okay. offended if you call them yeah. listeners. <laughs> sorry. They're not actually listening. Sorry, sorry, not sorry. Uh, what we learned, I learned JT Miller hasn't been dealt yet. That's from uh, Marcus. Correct. Correct. Are we sure, though? I, I, we should that's cross-check a, a per- cross this. A perennial evergreen what we learned submission. It just works. <laughs> it's worked every day for the last six months. And it's in months two months plus. from now. It'll still work. <laughs> yep. Okay, now I'm not enough of an F1 guy dumb. Uh, to to understand this, but uh, what we learned, Jim Benning is running the Alpine F1 team. Ryan yeah. in the L-Town. It sounds like a funny Isn't joke, it but Alpine? I don't... Alpine? <laughs> it is Alpine, I believe. Okay, sorry. Yeah. Alpine. Uh, not Italian, so you got to pass. It's French. I'm not. I I watch a little bit, but I'm not plugged in enough to like the understand why Jim Benning is yeah the, is why now running. It sounds like Alpine a funny F1. Team. It sounds like a funny joke. <laughs> I assume they've been mismanaged in some way this year. <laughs> they, have I don't know if they've si- have they, been they, signing lots of yeah. yeah they've signed somebody late. to like a six year contract yeah. or something un- unadvisedly. Mm-hmm. So maybe yeah. 
they have they managed their salary cap poorly? <laughs> Traded too many prospects away? Uh, Chef Swagger from Hell's Kitchen says, I'm not a listener. I'm watching you on Twitter. I'm a viewer. Creepy. Oh. Yeah. Love that Twitter stream. He's like, at, six, right. at 6 a.m. in the morning when we're all looking our best. It is far too early to be, uh, to be on, on camera. On, on a camera. Like, come on, we're in radio for a reason. You don't want to don't want to have to worry about what what we look like when we're doing it. It's probably the the most hated development by Halford and Bruff. I think <laughs> is the the advent of all the cameras in the studio. It's not great. It is not ideal. Yeah, uh, why do you think we got into radio? <laughs> exactly. Come on, face for radio, baby. Uh, Marcus and Gibson's updating us. Uh, Daniel Ricardo is the OEL of racing, and Alpine wants him. Sure. I, I find that to be harsh. I kind of like Daniel Ricardo. And my uh, well, OEL's good. He's yeah, a good he, player. Daniel Ricardo is always like the. He, he seems to be the centerpiece of every uh, F one thing on Netflix. He's got that. At, he's got the attitude. In the yeah. he's like happy go lucky. Yeah, fellow is how I would describe Daniel Ricardo. It's good Aussie. Uh, all right, what, <laughs> yes. what we learned? I got one. Yep. Thirty four years ago today, on this day in hockey history, August 9th, nineteen eighty eight, the biggest trade in NHL history occurred. The Edmonton Oilers sending Wayne Gretzky, Marty McSorley, Mike Krushnel uh Krushlinski, can't never pronounce Krushelnitsky. it. Krushelnitsky. Right. Oh, close enough. To the LA Kings for Jimmy Carson, Martin Jelena, thir- uh three first round picks and fifteen million dollars. Biggest trade in hockey history. Thirty four years ago. Today. I don't I don't think they got enough. I think <laughs> should have asked for more. Mind you, who won more cups? They won the Too cup. Soon to say. They Too won soon the cup. To say. Yeah. Who won? Who won more cups after the Gretzky nope. trade? Edmonton. Edmonton Oilers. Um, we, I think, we like violated Canadian sports radio law by not mentioning this. Doing today? a retrospective, having a guest, a, a, an '80s Oiler yeah, on. Where was Stephen Brunt today? Guys? What was Come your on. reaction when you when you heard what what yeah, kind really... of impact did that have on Canadian hockey? Yeah, I think I think we're legally mandated to do that on every year on the anniversary. Yeah. When when uh, JT Miller inevitably gets traded, will it replace the Wayne Gretzky uh, trade as the greatest trade in hockey history? Not quite. The most talked about. Marcus and Gibson says, "So you're telling me big trades can happen in mid-August? Let's go." I promise, mess. I wouldn't do this. There it is. <laughs> we have to play that today. Come on. Gotta play it. Any, you gotta any, play. Any it. promise for messes? I am. Uh, <laughs> take it to the bank. <laughs> I am shocked we went this long without talking about the Wayne Gretzky trade. I mean, what else is there to say? Uh, well, it's not a. It's been 34 years we of break people down saying the, it. The trade tree is it still it's going? It's not a touchstone for us in the way it is for people of an older generation, right? Yeah. Who remember it? Like I didn't remember it. Yeah, I was two I, years old. I was four. So yeah, I mean, you know. I tell people I remember Wayne Gretzky as a ranger, and they just shudder because yeah, my, my how first old it was my first memory of Gretzky was the Kings. So yeah. I never saw him play as an Oiler. Yeah, hundred percent. Recall. Yeah, I didn't. So I don't know. I mean, it's an interesting historical event. We're making but... people feel really old right now. <laughs> Apologies. Apologies. I, I I've seen his empty netter to get fifty and thirty nine like a thousand times though. That is true. And we, we're is just this like, just like we're just like hating random, on Wayne Gretzky now. randomly, like <laughs> streaking say... down the wing, takes a slap shot right along the ice, and goalie can't get down. I want to say he broke a record versus the Canucks because I seem to recall watching that one. He was playing for the yeah, hundred percent did. Wasn't yeah. there like the eight hundred second or eight hundred the goal the goal that passed. Uh, Gordy ha- Gordy Howe. Yeah, yeah. He was that was versus the Canucks. I want to say. Yeah, 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 yeah. So and I remember watching that one as a kid, being like, "Why is this such a big deal?" Just not really understanding the context behind it. Only years later, looking back, like, "Wow, I watched that live." Yeah. Uh, wait. I are we ready? Like, are we ready question. to move on? No. Okay. I have a question for Laddie. Like, Uh-oh. were goalies just unable to like get down to the ice in the eighties and 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 prior? Like, 
I don't know how many goals you would see where it's just like uh, right along the ice, just slide it along and the goalie can't get down to save it. Dropping to your knees was seen as like you're taking yourself out of the play. Once you're down, that's it. So they did everything they could to stay on their feet, which included kicking wildly at pucks from the blue line. Aggressively blowing at the puck, taking the mask off. I I swear Paul Coffey scored 300 goals like this. There's a, there's a clip I use on Twitter. For, uh, it's a Marcel Dion goal where he just sort of floats it from the blue line, and it's, it's Mike Leah in goal, and he just takes a whiff at it, and it's so bad. Yeah. And it's just how they were taught back then. It's not until the fact Patrick Waugh, right? Yeah, well, until until Esposito at least oh, started to drop yeah, down Esposito. a bit, but yeah. Waugh perfected it. But yeah, until then, it was that's how they taught goalies to do it. You were kicking it to the side, you're kicking it out of danger. A lot of times, you you missed the kick, and it went into the net. Uh, Snoop the dog texts in. What we learned, Italian sprinter Alberto Nonino lost a race due to an equipment failure, exposing his Italian sausage mid-race. <laughs> I did not see that one. Alberto Nonino. There we go. There, there we go. Is. He did He did have the request for Reach to uh, to get the name pronunciation. I, uh, hey, I, homie, I can see your doodle. <laughs> I, uh, I, I have not seen it, but I have heard about this. Uh... Also, why did you have that clip at... Like readily available. Uh, yeah. I love that that was just good to go. Oh, I was ready <laughs> nope. for that. One. Locked and loaded. <laughs> no I hesitation whatsoever. Just come in with it every once in a while. Uh, he normally just plays it out of context today. It actually works. We have a just a behemoth library of Simpsons Clearly. references here. Uh, Daniel and Comox. What we learned, according to fellow Australian golfer Cam Percy, Cam Smith and Mark Leishman deals to live. Golf are done. They're leaving the PGA. Camp Smith leaving for uh, for live is is a bit of a bit of a dagger. Mm-hmm. It's a tough one. I like I, I I used to like Camp Smith. You know, he just looked like a lovable little weasel <laughs> with his shaggy hair, the mullet. <laughs> lovable weasel is that oxymoron? A I, lovable <laughs> little weasel. Yeah. Dan Riccio on Camp Smith. <laughs> Know, so the guy just wins the open. He's like, all right, I'm good. I could, I got my major win. Now I could just go to live golf. Uh, Dempster Dan, what we learned. Who would have thought back in April, but the Seattle Mariners are going to make the playoffs before JT Miller gets traded. <laughs> I mean, let, let's hold off on the Seattle Mariners victory celebration just yet. You know, they're one game up on Baltimore, one and a half on Cleveland. Can we uh... Still a live issue here. It's not like we've seen the Mariners blow a playoff yeah. chance in September before. No, that's never happened. Never happened. Never ever happened. Um, if things are going, the Yankees might collapse and drop out of a playoff spot. Yeah, they uh, they, do, they beat the Mariners yesterday, but they've been struggling. Uh, uh, what what we learned? Jamie holds his microphone a lot. Also, Dan needs to know that when you work the morning show, a prerequisite is to wear a hat. Oh, so yeah. I mean, go. I I do have a hat. I just haven't been wearing it today. So if everybody is just commenting on my hairline today, yeah. I'm actually getting a haircut later today, so I might not. Well, maybe I'll have to wear the hat tomorrow. So I'm in desperate need of a haircut. But because I'm leaving for vacation on Saturday, I'm waiting till the last possible moment to get said haircut. Well, you got to put your hat on then, man. If If you're that desperate for a haircut, that's why I'm doing it. I mean, at some point, you know, like I've just come to to live with the hairline. You know, it's it's not going to be great. It, It just is what it is at this point. It's not going to get better? Nope. Probably not, no. Uh, what we learned, uh, mine or Matt and Abbotsford, I learned that there's thousands of WJC tickets still available. People will get excited for the semifinal and the final. Yep. 
but usually how it goes. Tough tournament to sell. We talked about it earlier in the show yep. for a lot of reasons. Tough tournament to sell right now. Uh, a lot of reasons. Uh, another, what we learned. <laughs> I learned Aaron Rodgers was born in the wrong decade, and the next piece of clothing he'll don is a tie-dye headband. Aaron Rodgers' content is just it's like... the gift that keeps giving. It just never ends. Every week there's something with this guy. It's too perfect. Uh, coming up tomorrow, Halford and Bruff in the morning, it'll be uh, myself and Jamie Dodd once again, pretending to be Halbro. We'll have more on Serena Williams and more and everything else going on in sports. Tune in then. Yeah? You've been listening on Sportsnet 650. Thank you.